Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to No Budget Nightmares. This is Mo. He's a bad film hating while I skating all the while masturbating. And that's Mo Pawn, yeah. yeah. And with me, as always, is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's bow, Doug bow, Tilly, bow, 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 number bow, one super bow, guy. Bow, bow, bow. All right. Yeah, I'm excited. That's great. I I love know. I love how you still laugh. During the opening theme music. Well, here's the thing. I don't listen to our episodes. <laughs> right. So uh, when we're recording is usually the only time I get to listen to it. I mean, <laughs> I, I have a copy of it, so I could hear it whenever I wanted. But in the context of it being our theme music, and we should stop opening our episodes with us talking about the theme music. <laughs> 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 but I love it so much. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it, it, it excites me in a way that I can't really... Uh, communicate properly at the. It makes you show. giddy like a child. It does. Well, I, anyone who's been a regular listener of No Budget Nightmares knows that it doesn't take much to make me giddy. No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, uh, I'm glad we are back. I'm glad we're back on a very special, different style of episode of No Budget Nightmares. A little bit of an experiment for us this week. One that we thoroughly regret. No, no, that's, that's not, not true. That. That's not true. Well, that is 100 percent not true. I think that uh, that it was it was a good experiment. Okay. That will that will do in another 40 episodes. Yes, <laughs> 40 episodes from now, we're going to jump right back into this similar experiment. Uh, for those who don't know what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> Uh, we put it out to you, the listeners or and or the viewers uh, of No Budget Nightmares over on our Facebook group to choose a film for us to cover. Mm. And uh, we gave an array of different kind of classic shot on video uh, films or classic micro budget movies uh, and gave actually people the opportunity to add their own as well and add their own. They did at least I voted for things. Yes. Mo voted for (laughs) the Canadian uh, classic things, uh, which I would love to cover at some point in the future. I'm sure I'm certain that we will. will. Um, But something a little bit funny happened with this poll. (laughs) Talk about our funny poll. (laughs) <laughs> well, speaking of our funny poll, um, well, yeah, I mean, this is, I guess you should have expected this to happen. Nope. You, it, no. it blindsided me, to be totally it, honest with you. Yeah, I, yeah me too. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying we should have expected this to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, as it makes sense, you know, you get the low-budget filmmakers, they want to they, they wanna get their, their movie out there more, and and uh, so, so, um, so Michael Fitz- Fitzgerald, he, uh, like, campaigned. Um, that's the ambulance coming to take me away. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that, no, he campaigned to have this film, his film, Victor Juliet's director's cut, uh, done for the next, uh, uh, for the next film covered on, on Uh for No Budget Nightmares. And it won. 
It won. It, it so good on him. It, it, to be honest, it, it, I don't want it to seem like at all that we're knocking him for doing this because, in no. fact, it is exactly the sort of attitude which we praise week right. in and week out right, on, right. on No Budget Neighbors. It's, hey, if you have a movie and it's something oh that you nuts. want people to see, <laughs> you you got to do it any way that you can. And, right. uh, and he did it. So he's going to get two hours of us talking about his movie. What we say may not be what he wants us to say. <laughs> <laughs> look, we're, look we, here, we're, here's, here is the problem. Here, herein lies the problem. Let's hear the problem. Is, is that whether or not he is interested in, in... I mean, obviously he's interested in what we have to say about it, but he the one thing he will know is that no, being a listener of the show, because he is, mm-hmm. uh, is that we will be brutally honest about the film. My opinion is that we're going to be very honest about our feelings about the opinion. We're going to treat it just like one of our one, right. any film that we were to cover. However, exactly. we, we, there's no reason for us to... Because I don't think we normally are. There's no reason for us to be personally offensive or we're, starting casting aspersions towards no, the people who made the film. Here's the thing. We're not mean. Mm. Generally speaking, <laughs> generally speaking, we're not mean about the films we cover. No, we're not. And you know, when but, we are, we feel bad about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, you know, if there is something we don't like about a film, we're we're not one to shy away from it. No, of course not. And the thing, but is, I, the, but the, I do think, but I do think you and I do have slightly differing opinions on this film, though. That's possible. And yeah. uh, I should mention, actually, before we jump into it, that I've actually I saw this movie before. I wrote up a review for it over on Daily Grindhouse uh, last year. Mm. Uh, in fact, quite a while ago at this point, and I actually interviewed Michael Fitzgerald, the director, at that time. In fact, that was the first sort of connection that I had with him and he's been like you mentioned a loyal listener and reader yeah. and someone who's you know participated since then uh, so he knows what what's happening here right. um, and Victor Juliet's director's cut which again is the film that we're covering this week is it's different than the kind of films that we cover in some ways which we'll get into when we when we delve into it but my opinion of that movie when I reviewed it and and wrote up a review it, you know my opinion about it is very similar now, however, you know we're going to go into real de- detail about the things that we take issue with in regards to the movie, uh, and that's going to be well, not just take issue with. I mean, we're going to go into detail about what we like and don't like. Absolutely, it's the same, that's it's right. The same thing. It's the same thing we do every week. That's right. When you're writing, but, show. I think what I should be saying is that when you're writing up a review, you sort of cherry pick the main points. But of course, with this, we're gonna you know we get into the details. Yeah. Right. We can't help it. So much for Mr. Reliability. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, uh, I would normally mention this at the end of the show, but uh, since I always forget these sort of things, I also want to mention that uh, for those of us, uh, those of us, those of you who are regular listeners remember, might remember a, uh, a few episodes back, actually quite a few uh, months back at this point, we covered the film Order of One Kung Fu Killing Spree. Oh, yes. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, uh, I'm super excited about that. Yeah, well, we loved Order of One. We had a really, really good time with it. Uh, the 2006 Canadian martial arts film, uh, which, which, which we kind of just kind of picked out of nowhere. But ended No, up no, being, no. I suggested it. You because, did, actually. You because I had done a review for it. That's previously. right. Uh, I, sh- I, I shouldn't have uh, 
have underestimated <laughs> you, Mo. Uh, but just over the last couple of days, it appears that uh, the creators of that film, or at the very least the writer and director, uh, Kevin Woodhouse and Jason Cavalier, who also starred in Order of One, have mm. actually listened to the episode and enjoyed it very much and uh, are actually looking to uh, to talk to us and maybe send us a, a special edition of the DVD. I, can't, I cannot wait to watch that. I'm dying to see the behind-the-scenes stuff and like all the extra feature stuff that they that they want to show us. Needless to say, I have a million fucking questions about that right. movie. So if if they do get in contact with us soon, or if they don't, I'm still going to track them down and talk right, to them. Right. But this this is the opening that I always this is this is why we're such we're in such a blessed position. Right. Uh, 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 covering micro-budget movies because these sort of relationships develop, these sort of connections happen, and people get really excited about it. They were so pleased that we we <laughs> we spent more time talking about the movie right. than, than the actual movie lasted, <laughs> which is and, which is not and, uncommon. <laughs> and I and I yeah, it's it happens pretty much every fucking time. Um, no, I also love the fact that uh, that Jason really enjoyed my uh, Irishman impression that was painful to say the least. Let's hear a little more of that Irish potatoes. Oh my potatoes. The funny thing is I come from a place where everyone sounds Irish and I still can't do a Irish But that's order of one. That's yes. that's both in the past and hopefully maybe something in the future you'll be hearing about that again. We we're very pleased to hear that. But that's a positive reaction to something we're saying. Yeah. So let's get back to <laughs> <laughs> Victor Juliet's director's cut from 2009. Oh god, uh, why do I why do I have a feeling we have like photoshopped gay porn in our future again? Oh. <laughs> Uh, that Mo is, of course, uh, <laughs> vaguely referencing a negative review that we oh did in the goodness. past that drew some ire. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the fact. You know the saddest part is that it wasn't that negative of a review. No, of, a review. of course, well, we're you know? never. You know, we we accentuate the positive. So keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot to like. I mean, granted, I mean there was a lot to dislike about Terror Tunes too. But I mean. But there was a lot to like about it, and we went over everything we liked about it, and all Joe Castro heard was what we disliked about it, and it turned into something funny. Wow, I so, thought we were just referencing it vaguely. I didn't realize we were just going to talk about it again. Nah. We let that I'm, not, I'm not saying anything else about it. That's all. That's it. That's the entirety of, of my thing, although uh, I might make some comparisons to, uh, to certain characters in the film itself. <laughs> maybe we won't name we'll, we'll we'll use a key we'll use a, a like a a word that means that situation ah, that name, maybe right? i'll maybe i'll say fidel fidel very very good that's excellent fidelio fidelio All right, let's 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 get into it. let's let's and be let's sure to be sure to give the audience a big wink <laughs> yeah I'd be like huh. <laughs> mo 2009's victor juliet's director's cut directed by michael fitzgerald Yes. This is a shot on video film or a shot on digital video film. Mm hmm. Uh, and it, uh, we're not going to go into all the credits, but the movie itself starts with opening credits. Mo, did you notice anything about the title cards in this movie? That they had really awesome music over them? There was some awesome music. And you know why it's awesome? 
No, why? Because some of it is provided by Kevin McLeod, who uh, has a website that provides royalty-free music online, uh, and whose name I see in about 85% of the low budget movies, <laughs> including the one I worked on. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, he's, he provides... Actually, I was I was in a conversation with some low budget filmmakers about this, and they've refused to use his music because they they think that people see that as low rent at this point. But uh. if if you don't have musical ability or the or or you want something that that is appropriate for the scene and you can't have someone compose it, hey, it's an option that's out there. And all he all he asked for, at least at the time when we were making movies, was uh, was a credit. Hey, you know what? I mean, if it's good, it's good. Who cares? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, if it works, I, I like I like I said, I really enjoyed the uh, the music over the opening credits. I thought it was I thought it was fitting and it worked. Look at you. Complimentary. Yeah. Look at me. Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> now, Victor Juliet's director's cut is actually split into five acts. Yes. It, it, in fact, it starts with a title card that says a tale in five acts. Well, they have to tell you. Now, why do you think that is, Mo? Why do you think this movie is in five acts? So that you can count down. <laughs> it does help if you're waiting. <laughs> you can say, Act 5, thank God. <laughs> That's, that has to be closer to the end than Act 1 was. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. Uh, we'll, uh, it, it does help with the process of actually talking about it because of that kind of split. Um, because these particular acts are very, for the most part, they're very different. And some of them are very short as well. Well, it, yeah, it's an e- it's an easy way to tie everything together um, because, frankly, at least three of these acts don't make sense in compa- you know uh, when thinking about the other parts of the film. So, right. so uh, act, yeah, so Act One is it's its own thing. It's its own short film. That's fair to say, mm-hmm. right? Will work for food. Will work for food. And what That's, is with? I have to say I'm very familiar with that concept because at this point that's the only way I get fed. So, wah, wah. <laughs> uh, will work for food is as I mentioned. It's like a short film in itself. Uh, it starts with a guy in a cowboy hat in the side of the road uh, holding a sign saying, "Get this, will work for food." How meta! I know. Uh, and a, a guy eventually stops. Do people still hold signs like that? Yeah, will work for food. They do. Yeah. yeah well. Yeah, I don't know. I I once saw a uh, woman holding a sign that says that said "We'll work for food." Very hungry, but meanwhile she was wearing designer jeans and smoking a cigarette. So I, I don't know. Uh, it seems seems like there are a lot of there might still be people out there holding them, but maybe it's not quite as sincere as it they're, used to be. They're not really expecting to have to work, right? And as since we're both members of the one percent, these entitled homeless people. Yes, I mean they. They got <laughs> so we're both easy. members of the one percent. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're in fancy Connecticut, right? Yeah, I live in Connecticut. That's the fanciest state in the union. <laughs> uh, so in this particular case, someone does stop. Uh, someone stops their car next to the guy and asks if he's serious about working for food, and the guy says, uh, "Yes, he absolutely is." Now. There's no, we didn't mention this at the beginning of the show, there's no internet movie database page for Victor Juliet's director's cut. Right. Never a good sign. Uh, so, uh, but I've been pretty careful about getting the names, but hopefully I don't fuck them up horribly. Well, I actually, I got to tell you, uh, that was uh, one, of the, one of the first things I noticed was that they did a really good job of um, pointing out characters and giving them their, you know, letting you know who they were. That's true. Um, of I course, mean, especially, 
What? Go ahead. Well, of course, th- there is a segment coming up where they're actually the names come on the screen when they do. Right. <laughs> so that, that certainly helps. But certainly after some of the, la- the the most recent films we've covered on this show, where sometimes characters don't get named until well, that's what like I'm saying. That happens. That happens to us all the time, where yeah. a character won't even get, like, you won't even notice their name, or they won't even mention the person's name until there's like five minutes left to the film. <laughs> In this case, the like one of the very first things that says the driver says his name is Adam, and the hitchhiker says his name is James. Right. So it's like you know that they these are the characters' names. You're not really introduced to any other new care. I mean, you are one, but he doesn't matter. You know, and then uh, and then this, and then when, when we finally get to the movie proper in the second act, and uh, there's title cards that give you all the characters' names right then and there, so it works. It really <laughs> works as far as as far as like because because you know that's like a huge freaking pet peeve. That is something that's specifically a pet peeve for us though, because yeah. not everyone needs to have the, t- the names. No, in but order to we do. We do. <laughs> so, so James is this vagrant, and Adam is the person in the car. Uh, Adam uh, picks up James, but he doesn't really describe to him what work he wants done. In no, he's he... a little cagey about the whole. Right, thing. right. Now, uh, since we just uh, complimented the villain about giving us uh, their names, let me uh, do the opposite of that <laughs> and say that one of the things I notice, and this is an issue with the film for the entirety of the running time, is that um, when they change camera angles, the audio quality changes noticeably. Yeah, there's some pretty serious hiccups with the audio in this. I mean, in this particular segment. In, in, in this act in particular. Yeah, and, and really we'll, we'll point that out, but uh, it first is noticeable, of course, from the first conversation, and that's something that you'll, 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 you'll get a taste of that in just a little bit. So uh, James is curious, uh, but he's also incredibly polite. He says, uh, thank you, and sir. I guess you kind of got to be when someone is driving you right. to an unknown location to do work for them. <laughs> it's an old habit. So uh, we learn, by the way, that Adam is married uh, But that his wife is away for the weekend Uh, I gotta gotta tell you, when he said his wife is away for the weekend I expected the movie to take a much different turn No kidding, right? And man, am I glad it didn't (laughs) And Adam has a nice house, seems perfectly pleasant uh, But there is obviously something up Uh, And in fact... Uh, Adam even uh, points out that he's maybe a little uncomfortable with the way James is communicating. What's with the whole surf thing? Just an old habit. Did you serve in the military? No. <laughs> no. No. In fact, that that line continues with him saying, "No, not the military," which is it. That seems to imply that there's some sort of service in the background, uh, but uh, that that's never that never comes up again. No. Though I mean, I guess the idea is that that. James is sort of has a mysterious past, uh, which, for the purposes of what he's going to be asked to do, might be helpful. Right. Right! That's right, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this whole sequence is very strange, because Adam offers James a beer, uh, and James, who at this point, up to this point, has been sort of uh, passive... When he's drinking the beer, he goes, you know, it's rude to make me drink alone to try to get Adam to drink a beer as well. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it seems like everything that Adam does sort of like screams, I'm going to date rape this guy. Yes, I'm going to do, I'm going to do dirty. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, we're going to raw dog in the basement. That's what's going to happen. You know, James has, I think I might've taken it one step too far there, but. (laughs) <laughs> James has about two sips of his beer before uh, Adam suggests that he go get a shower. 
and uh, he does. He goes in to use the bathroom and, and get clean up. Get and leaves up, the door open. And leaves the door open while uh, Adam uh, goes through his bag and uh, checks out his wallet. Apparently his real name is Michael Edwards, and he has a knife with him because he's a vagrant and has to have a knife. Yeah, because it's useful. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But also he's poor, and poor people are violent. It's notoriously the case. There is there is one moment in this scene I kind of wanted to mention real quick cuz please cuz cuz I found it kind of I found it kind of annoying and I and I uh I don't know maybe I don't know if they did it on purpose or or what but uh Tell us Mo there's a moment like right where he says that it's rude to drink alone where Adam opens <laughs> up the fridge and then James like ducks behind the door you know and it seems like he was trying to create one of those moments where like he closes the fridge and then oh the big reveal you know but you watch him get behind the door. Like, you literally watch James walk behind the door, and then, then he's there again. Poof. You know? Oh, now, how did I mean, you do that? Maybe, maybe, yeah, exactly. Oh, how did you manage to take a step to the left? Now, now that maybe that's just me. I don't know. But that's I what did it not notice like. that at all, but all right, it maybe sounds it was just me. hilarious. I just thought it was ridiculous that, like, Adam opens up the door to go get the fridge, and James, like, ducks behind the door. Like, it's... You know, like like he's trying to scare him or something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, after <laughs> after Adam gets his, sorry after uh, James gets his shower, they sit down at the table to have a little conversation about what's happening. I love and how James has his feet up on the guy's dining room. The table. Guy gets comfortable really quickly. I mean, I yeah. guess I guess you need to when you're making love to Mother Earth on a regular basis. <laughs> to Mother Gaia. That's right. Uh, so. I also want to mention that Adam has a very squeaky voice, and I don't say that to disparage the actor, but his voice kind of honks, and uh, I mean, as someone who has a kind of a honking, squeaky voice myself, <laughs> honk, honk, uh, honk. It's, uh, it was very noticeable to me. Um, and also, well, you already got a taste of the acting. This is, we know where we are here. Yeah. So Adam wants James to help him move a body from his basement. There's a dead man in the basement. Right. Um, and it was an accident, mm-hmm. apparently. At least that's what Adam says. Um, and and he says that he's never killed anyone before. But he just needs some help because he can't carry the body by himself. He needs someone to help him, I guess, move it to the car so he can dispose of it. The conversation, this conversation we're talking about right now. Uh-huh. The audio. I know yes. we've already mentioned the audio. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, this, this is the... This is the worst example of this audio. This is the, the worst audio in the entire film right here. Explain why it's so bad. Well, because it's clearly like 80 yard. It's obviously dubbed. <laughs> but you can hear the guide track yes, behind it. You can. You know, and then there's a problem because there's a, cl- a ticking clock in the background that every now and again when they cut to the next guy, the tick will be off and it'll be like, it's like it like hits you and it's like really annoying. The idea was really good though. Sure, the, I I like the idea of like it builds the tension with the clock ticking, you know. Here's but the <laughs> but the timing on it was ju- was off I'm just gonna, enough to drive I, me nuts. I'm not going to tell someone how to make a movie, but here no. I go and let me do that. <laughs> I'm not going to tell somebody, but if <laughs> if I were the type, say you wanted to put a ticking clock in a scene. <laughs> Perhaps that's something that you might want to record as a separate element 
and and lay on top of it afterwards. But it seems like that's what. But it seems like that that's essentially what they did because they were they overdubbed everything else. Yeah, but the, the the fact that the tick was off seems a little weird with the camera angles. You think it would just be continued throughout the entire scene? I don't know. Explain it to me, Mo. <laughs> I wish I I wish I could. I mean that what you just said is how I would have done it. Uh, James box slightly at the idea of what he's being asked to do because you know food is great, but yeah, moving a body that's kind of a best friend thing to do. You realize I'll expect more than this fine meal in exchange for my help. In exchange for its what? For it's it's his help, but he gets cut <laughs> off, I think. And yes. uh, Adam Adam's response to that is, and they speak so robotically. I, I I don't know if it's just because of how they how they had to ADR the scene, but they speak like Data from uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, <laughs> where they don't because his his response is, I assumed as much. That is why I withdrew six hundred earlier today. <laughs> Well, I think I think a lot of that I think a lot of the acting issues in this part of the film are explained later in the film. Oh. You know? Now I don't know if they're explained later in the film because of I think that's some I think that's what what you would call retconning. <laughs> <laughs> I think retroactively explain, explaining yeah. why some of the acting might be poor right. uh, might not have been the case when they were actually filming it. Yeah, but whatever. It, it worked for me. By the way, listeners, can you figure out what's going to happen? Can you figure it out? Can you figure it out? <laughs> so, uh, so, Tala! so what do you think about $600? Is that enough for you to help someone move a body? Mo. Well, I mean, his explanation works, though. He said you didn't have to kill it. Yeah, I just he's not asking to him to kill it. the guy. Just move I'm like body. 600 bucks. I mean, that's 600 bucks I didn't have before. And what do I got to do? Throw a body in a trunk and drive a car? Okay. I mean, as long as I'm not driving the car with the body in the trunk, I guess I could help. Uh, James uh, tries to kind of pull a fast one on Adam a little bit, saying that, you know, what's stopping me from saying no and then going to the police? Right. And, J- and James tries to, ex- I mean, uh, sorry, Adam is like, well, you don't really know there's someone dead down there. I told you that, but there's no proof. Right. But his response to this, this this is what we're talking about in terms of kind of the stilted dialogue. No, I have not. But you have told me that there is and that is enough cause for suspicion. (laughs) Can we play that again? (laughs) Yes, we can play that a dozen more times. Because the combination between there and is is brilliant. No, I have not. But you have told me that there... Is and that is enough cause for suspicion. And the the best part is, in your in your notes when you because you know like uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Doug will make suggestions to me of what what we should grab for audio clips. And in this one, he at, like Doug sent it sent it to me with proper like you know uh, the pauses. I'll put into yeah cause and for it, suspicion. <laughs> But but even though you, like, you you wrote and that's enough, but he doesn't say and that's enough. No, nope. and that is enough. You know. So I think it's I think it's funny that you like you're you're putting in the proper pauses, but you're also correcting <laughs> like where there should be contractions. That, and, that is literally all you need to know. All you need to know about me as a person. <laughs> yeah. Right. You have told me that there is. Is. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Adam doesn't think that the police will believe James because he's right. poor and a vagrant. 
uh, and they, they continue to talk like robots for a little while before they decide James is on board. They're going to move this. He's going to give them $600. Everything is going to be great. And they head to the basement. And what then happens, Mo? There's nothing down there. He says, where's the body? You said there was a dead man in the basement. <laughs> there is a dead man in the basement. You! <laughs> you! <laughs> you! He's all exci- excited. He's excited about it. There, there is, is a, a dead, dead man, man in the basement. You! There is a dead man in the basement. You! <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Adam slashes James's throat. Which, uh, at this point, you might be wondering, well, why the fuck did he do that? What's the, what's the motivation here? Right. Ah, ha, ha. We do, we do <laughs> get a close-up uh, of Adam where he reveals that he has fangs. Yeah, they fill up a wine glass with the blood. And I, I like how, they, how this other guy shows up, and uh, he's got like a little box with him, and in the box is like a wine glass. Yeah, because it's like a ceremony or something. Right, like right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love that there's nothing special about the wine glass. It's just a glass. Yeah, it's not you know? even like... It's, it's not, not like a chalice. <laughs> it's not metal. It's just a glass. And uh, and he fills it with uh, with James's blood and drinks some of it and reveals his vampire teeth. And it's like, whoa, vampire teeth. And the punchline is the guy, the guy who comes downstairs goes, why did you put so much effort into killing a simple vagrant? And then Adam holds up the will work for food sign. <laughs> I guess he brought it into the basement with him because it was uh-huh. just for that possibility. <laughs> yep. Act two. Act. <laughs> Didn't know what was happening there for a second. <laughs> Act two. Will direct for food. Because it was will work for food. Now it's will direct for food. Right. Now this uh, this act takes a very different form than the first one. We'll, we'll PA for food. <laughs> uh, what is different about this act, Mo? Well, from the sec, I mean, it starts off with a bunch of like talk. Well, not a, starts off. The whole thing is a bunch of talking head interviews. Um, and it, like it becomes a uh, behind the scenes sort of documentary about what ha- what was happening in the first act. Yeah, it's it at first it looks like it's going to be a behind the scenes of the first act uh, of the right. first uh the short film and we get introduced to basically characters who are supposed to represent the director and the sound guy and the assistant and that sort of thing and some um, actress and Yes, exactly. Yeah. But they are they are not the actual people who did those jobs. Right. In this case, this is where we get introduced to Victor Juliet of the title, uh the director this sort of pompous uh Beret? Is it a beret? No, wait, what is he wearing on his head? It's like a scally cap. Boy, that's backwards. that's a much better word. <laughs> <laughs> and he's sort of this pretentious character who will be kind of the connecting link between the rest of the segments. Right. Uh, in fact, most of the characters here are, are in some way going to connect up the rest of the segments. He, he looks like several friends I had in the late 90s. Yes. Uh, yeah. And he looks like he's come right out of there. Yeah, uh, he really does. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's run down just quickly some of the people that we get introduced to here. We get Victor Juliet, who's the director. We get John Davis, who's the director of photography. We mm-hmm. have uh, Rachel Ward, who's an actress, and uh, Peter Thomas, who's a production assistant. Right. And he's sort of a heavy set guy who's uh, who really knows how to wear a pair of pants. Knows how to wear a pair of pants. He really does. If if only we all were so lucky. <laughs> I I could, but I wouldn't be able to pull it off. Not the way he does. 
So this segment is very strange because, like I said, it starts out and you think that it's going to be sort of a behind-the-scenes of the first uh, film, the first act. And that's sort of what it is because they're all telling a story about the characters in that, fi- in that first film or the actors who made up that film. The, the, right. The ones who played the one who played James and the one who played Adam, and in fact, they they even uh, interview the actor who played Adam uh, yeah. in this segment as well. The reason we're kind of cagey about how we're explaining this is that they tell a story that obviously isn't true uh, and is supposed to be amusing, <laughs> but it's told. And, in- and, but and it is for a couple of minutes. Yeah. But this but this this act goes on way longer than it needs to. And I mean, I know they're trying to set up for what's going to happen in, in the third act, and they're trying to bridge the two, this, the, that story and the next story together. And, but I mean, like it gets to the point where they're cutting back and forth between so many, like there's so many cuts, and there's you know, and and they're all telling the same exact story. Like it basically looks like somebody wrote one story and then cut it up. Right. To give it it to doesn't each. look like a natural way of people it's, explaining. Things. It's not a natural flow at all, especially for like a documentary style. It just doesn't work. Just just to let people know what they're talking about, they, the, the idea, the joke of this is that James in the previous uh, short was a real homeless person that right. Victor thought would, would be it would be kind of uh, more interesting to have him come on set first as a boom mic operator and eventually as an actor in the film. Yeah, because I guess the I guess the original story they say is that they were filming something else, and uh, this actress Rachel was like he was the boom operator, and he kept staring at her tits, and uh, and he ends and she ended up uh, bringing it up to him, and he drops the boom mic on her head, basically. Right. Um. But I mean, <laughs> you know, and th- and then it's sort of I don't know, but it's so weird too because like then Victor says something like, "Oh, the next time I work with that bitch, it'll be a snuff film." You know, and uh, I mean, I can't imitate Victor's. Well, uh, well, we don't have to. There's a sound clip from Victor right right now, I think. Oh, is there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, here we go. I threw the script together over the course of an afternoon. Then I called an actor that I knew that I could convince to work for less than scale. Yeah, yeah. So that's an idea of what what he's all about. But the thing is, this is a very strange sequence in the in the context of the movie as a whole it because is. because you could make a movie about a gorilla, no budget filmmaker, and uh, do it in sort of like an office style, like the show The Office, where it's sort of right. semi documentary style. And I think that would be a pretty interesting take on the whole process. Uh, and but all we really get in this segment is that Victor Juliet is pompous and that he will do that he's willing to do uh anything to get his short done even inconvenience other people but that the story itself isn't very amusing and also yeah. what what is revealed about these characters it seems particularly odd that it's so subdued considering what's about to come right right uh, and in fact, I think that's all we really need to say about Act Two because it it doesn't really go anywhere. It really doesn't. Actually, actually, in my notes, I said, "I mean, we're on almost ten straight minutes of exposition." The fuck. And it's exposition for something we've already seen. Right. Exactly. Like it's not even like it's not adding anything new to the story for the most part. Right. So it it, it does lead in because it introduces these actually characters. actually I got I got to tell you the one thing the one thing I did get a kick out of was. Uh, was the callback 
um, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> of, of uh, that Pete does, where he mentions how he how he uh, like he the first tricking. time he mentions. Yeah, he, he says he's gonna. He says he's gonna bring the bum to uh, well, the character James uh, to an Arby's, and he drops him off in the middle of the woods right. and leaves him there. And, and then he a... finds him again and brings him back to film. We'll work for food, and then he's well, I'm gonna bring him to the Denny's and <laughs> bring him out to the middle of the woods and dropped him off again. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was that was a the the only gag that kind of hit in the whole. Yeah, thing. and then in both times it was Victor's idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no that that was. That was a good. That was a good gag. It worked. I, I think the rest of it. Uh, I think a good chunk of the rest of it could have been cut, either cut out or, or done by one person. I mean, in the context of the movie, that whole segment could have been removed entirely, and you wouldn't have lost anything. That, yeah, or significantly shortened. Yeah. So speaking of callback, Act Three is called callback. Yes. Uh, and we are finally <laughs> in a, a sort of a different location. Uh, a, a, a girl, Sarah Bellinger, we find out is her name. Uh, mm-hmm. She has been called back to uh, to audition for Victor Juliet's latest project. Yeah. Now, this is... Uh... <laughs> I can t- I can tell you're trying to think of a tactful way of saying something. Yeah, I am. Okay, so the actress who plays Sarah in this case, she's wearing clothes that look like. Remember the Hardy Boys from the WWE? <laughs> I do remember the Hardy Boys from WWE. Uh, well, they uh wore a lot of tassels and things. Well, not tassels like like <laughs> I'm not going to compare to other wrestlers. Not like the Ultimate Warrior, but no, he wore fringe. <laughs> <laughs> but like uh. If you do know what what these wrestlers looked like, she, this actress, is wearing clothes that sort of reminded me of that. She's wearing these kind of gloves that have strands hanging off of them. Can you? And, I, yeah, I mean, they, they go they go up to her elbows. Yeah. And then she's wearing like a half shirt. Yeah. And she's wearing the weirdest pants I've ever seen. Like they have like like a giant belt like built into them that go that wraps around the butt. <laughs> I mean, I think it's inappropriate for us to spend too much time talking I'm, about. I'm not. I'm no, not. Talking, no, I'm not going to talk about her physicalness. No, I'm, I'm not. Say, I'm not commenting on you, Mo. Oh. I just want to get it across that the reason we're talking about this is that these clothes are incredibly unflattering to this right, person. Right. Uh, this is a very attractive young woman, but she looks horrible because of these clothes that she's wearing. Right. Right. Uh, and and I feel bad for her because of that. <laughs> well put. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. She's also on the phone, by the way. She's talking to a friend about the fact that she has this callback. And uh, I don't mean to get irritated by things like this, but the person she's talking to, when you hear the other end of the conversation, it is very obvious that the person is just off screen with their lines. I mean, there's, it, it doesn't sound like it's coming from a phone at all. Right. Uh, so there's yeah. an interaction. She's, her friend is, I guess, a little skeptical. Oh, what was that? I was, I, that was the clip. I was playing it. Oh, play the clip. All right, here we go. Okay, a lot of actresses have got their start in horror films. Ooh. All right, uh, I probably should have grabbed that whole line because I'm an idiot. But <laughs> well, her friend yeah, is. Her friend let, is me play, let me play it again. Let me play. All it right, again. all right. Horror film? Don't knock it. A lot of actresses have got their start in horror films. Ooh. 
And she goes off to list a bunch of actresses who got their start, you know, um, like Jennifer Aniston. And I forget, I forget exactly. I didn't write it down. I'm stupid. Yeah. And Demi Moore, uh, I think she says. Right. uh, And then she says, and then she says what films they were in. But I love how she says she knows what actresses got their start in horror and what horror films they were in. But she's never seen any of them. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Oh, uh, and uh, again, no need to pick on things uh, unnecessarily, but there is a very visible mic on the side of the screen in this <laughs> scene that I could not stop staring at the entire time. Yeah. Anyway, so Sarah is going to go to this. <laughs> I was going to say, if we want to talk about technical issues, we've got a much bigger technical issue coming up. So <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so Sarah is, uh, is waiting to go to her callback. And in fact, Peter, from the previous segment, arrives in a car to drive her to the audition. Pretty fancy, I think. There's nothing in this movie that I got a bigger kick out of than watching Peter get in, get in and out of this car. (laughs) Cause like being a big man who owned a small car, like I know the pain that he was going through getting in and out of that car. (laughs) Well, yes. (laughs) Basically. Uh, Oh, and speaking of painful and car. Yes. What happens next is that Peter drives, drives, quote unquote, Yes. Uh, to Sarah to this audition, and this is done through the classical poor man's process, uh, which for those who don't know, usually uh, when you're doing a driving scene, because it is such a pain in the ass, and because there's so many technical things involved with recording sound during that, you uh, instead of actually moving the car, you just kind of uh, you you move the car up and down, or you have someone shake the car to make it look like it's moving. Yeah, and I really have no problem with this. No. Generally speaking. Absolutely not. And, and yeah. it's, it's done even on, on like high-budget movies. And right. Often that's done during nighttime, like you're driving at night, because it's a little bit easier to kind of uh, uh, fake it. Right. Uh, because you can just even have someone with a light going by or shining, and you can, you know, you can make it look fairly real, especially if you're not looking for it. Right. There is some minor issues... <laughs> With the poor man's process in this particular film. Well, I, I would say there's one major issue. I would say there's two, but let's hear yours. Well, I think there's the, <laughs> there's the there's the minimum of the one, that being the visible tree in the background that does not move the entire scene. When you can see something in the background that is just standing there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's got to move. <laughs> The other issue with it is that the car uh, is is bouncing, sort of, in this case, uh, right. to give the impression of movement. But it is uh, bouncing in, in a very kind of uh, unnatural way, which is that it's going bounce, bounce, bounce. Like, just continually the entire time the scene is right. going yeah. with this fucking tree in the background. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't require a, a much... Uh, the, the illusion of film... It doesn't take much for me to kind of get into it. I don't get distracted that often, even when I'm examining something closely. But right. Christ, when you see a fucking tree, it is it kills you, right? Well, you, you, you mentioned it to me before I started watching it. And so I kind of had my eye out for it. So, I mean, I, I got I to gotta blame that. But I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, even if I didn't have my eye out for that, I would have noticed it. <laughs> it was ve- You're right. It was very distracting. We also learned that uh, what Victor is looking for in this role is sort of a Lily Taylorish alone in a crowd actress because uh, in this case Sarah is a little she's a little worried about doing the uh, the performance uh, about uh, the the audition but uh, Peter sort of calms her down saying that she's exactly what they're looking for but Lily Taylor really 
I love Lily Taylor. I, so do I. I mean, I have I have like 57 songs about Joe, and I'm going to sing them all tonight. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> you know, I, no, I really, I really love Lily Taylor. But really, like that, that's that's where they went with this. <laughs> you know, you've got a girl who's dressed like a Hardy Boy, and they and they make the Lily Taylor comparison. Well, to give a little bit of that Lily Taylorish uh, feel, once Peter drops her off. He, uh, he actually kind of reassures her. He leaves her with some reassuring words. Let's hear them. You'll be fine. Trust me. I will. <laughs> You'll be that, fine. That's a classic Lily Taylor. I will. I will. <laughs> I will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this whole sequence is so fucking weird because she goes into this production office. Uh, the, I guess the idea is despite... Victor Juliet's uh, the low budgets of his of his films that they're still you know they're still ha- have a, a lot of people working on them at any particular. Well, we time. hear we hear that the I mean and, and uh, apparently at least one of his films is somewhat critically acclaimed because we it, we're told it was you know <laughs> later later in the film. So I mean I, I guess it makes sense he'd have a bunch of people working for him. Right. So she ends up going in there, and she, people are mean to her right away. There's, like, a uh, assistant telling her that she's has to go to the casting office. He's and, my least favorite character in the entire film. What not, not, I mean, like, not because he's a bad character, but because that performance is the worst. So th- this, there's a sea of bad performances happening here. And he's, <laughs> and he's like a buoy in the middle of that ocean, just going, like, look at me, I'm the worst. <laughs> Well, it makes everyone else seem a little better. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So she ends up going into the office. I I guess the casting office in this case is where they're actually filming, where Victor Juliet is there uh, currently setting up a scene. Uh, And uh, she goes in, there's a light that blinds her temporarily. (laughs) Uh, and uh, he... actually, I actually I thought that was kind of clever. I liked that when the door opens and the light's so bright that she has to like cover her face. Yeah, you know, and then and then and then of course the big joke is, can you move that light? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, Victor, of course, is his usual kind of over the top self, and he mentions the fact that uh, they are going to be killing her, and she, of course, is taken aback. But he, oh, relax. Sarah, because <laughs> it's we, a horror. Film. It's a horror film. We're just going to murder you in the film. There's certainly, certainly, no one is going to murder you for real. And if anyone listening right now thinks that that's what's going to happen, you just you're ridiculous. Why would that happen in a movie? You you are clearly a fool, sirs. Yeah, and I will not stand it. Or I say good day, foolish madams, <laughs> foolish madams, and <laughs> stupid sirs. So this particular scene that is going to be shot, I guess, has her audition, which yeah. it's a strange audition since they are filming it as if it's part of the movie uh, involves a actor Bruce Hewitt who is playing the necromancer see and again we're immediately given the character's name that's right Bruce Hewitt you know and uh, how would you describe the look of the necromancer oh my god I'm gonna be started it's sort of like a Batman mask yeah he's wearing <laughs> Halloween he's wearing mask his... with the ears chopped off right <laughs> you know and he's got these giant like metal forearm guards that go like up his arm. <laughs> I mean you you would think that the WWF like sponsored all, this entire sponsored the uh the 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 costuming on this film. <laughs> well, uh one of the running jokes of this particular scene is that uh Victor Juliet's response to everything is splendid. Ugh. Splendid mo. 
And he, no, it's not even just on this scene. Like he continues to do that through the rest of the film. Yeah, it's, that's just that's just how this irritating character is. It's just really <laughs> annoying. Uh, so for anyone. If you haven't yet figured it out, they're going to chain her to a wall. This guy, uh, this actor who's playing... Wait, why would they have figured it out that they were going to chain her to a wall? No, no, the part that I'm going to say after that. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just tell you, they're going to chain her to a wall. And, uh, in fact, she's a little wary about the whole being murdered thing, especially as an audition, because that's not really a great audition piece anyway. Well, yeah, they they tell her, her, you know, the the audition is going to be her death scene because it's a horror film. And then he goes, um, and we're going to, of course, have to shackle you to the wall. And that's when we hear this. I'm okay with that. Splendid. 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 Uh, What immediately follows that is his explanation to her that uh, (laughs) the necromancer is going to use a real knife for close-ups, but they're going to switch out to a retractable knife for the actual murder scene. Now, let's make something very clear. The two knives they show look nothing alike. Nothing alike. Like, I understand they're not going to look exactly alike, but they don't, they're they're nothing alike. There's no way you'd be able to switch those two out. But I guess it doesn't really matter. (laughs) I mean, it'd be one thing if it was like a switchblade and the retractable knife, because at least they kind of look the same. But we're talking about like a big carving knife, like a big, like, you know... You know, everybody knows what a fucking carving knife looks like, right? We've all watched the uh, the late night infomercials. We know what right. we're talking about. <laughs> right, exactly. You can even cut a, cut a tin can with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Or and, a shoe. But, uh, right. And who doesn't like cutting the toes off of their shoes? <laughs> I know I do. But the retractable knife is like a, it's like a switchblade. Yeah. That's right, and only fifty nine ninety nine. Three easy payments. <laughs> uh, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. So, uh, so we know what's happening here, right? You know what's happening. I'm talking to you, the listeners. Uh, they're going to murder this gal for real right. uh, and film it. Uh, though, m- perhaps that is a surprise to you because there's nothing up to this point that really implies that Victor Juliet is a murderer. No, but- I thought I was completely taken off. Take, taken off. Listen to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, caught off guard by that. I, I wasn't but expecting But the setup it. here makes it kind of obvious. No, the setup makes sense. Yeah. But when it actually happens, it doesn't because nothing in the film suggests up until this point that he would actually do anything like this. Yeah. So they chain her up. The necromancer guy comes over. She gets really iffy about the fact. <laughs> she's like, hey, that's the wrong knife. You Bruce, got the wrong the necroman- knife. Necromancer. <laughs> that's right, Bruce, the necromancer. Uh, and uh, she... Uh, he slaps her around. I mean, I shouldn't laugh because it's it's actually kind of horrible. No, no, I agree. Violence against women is hilarious. Yeah, but he starts to choke her. <laughs> like he's choking her, and it's supposed to be kind of like a you know real choking. But right. her response to it is ow, 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 <laughs> <laughs> which which is only funny because of how it looks in the movie, <laughs> right? And then he stabs her, um, and uh, she. Uh, you think she would actually her response would be to scream at this? I would. But she just well, kinda... I'm assuming she stabs her in the fucking brain. Oh, really? Because she's kind of like moving. <laughs> well, what I what I I mean, what I don't get is like he stabs her, but she manages to remain standing the whole time. Well, she is shackled. I know that, but I mean, you'd still slump and fall over. I mean, like those chains are not exactly tight. Uh, it's a uh, there's. <laughs> 
nothing looks right about this. By the way, they're filming the whole time. Uh, there's uh, there's also a boom mic in frame, which seems strange considering that the only audio would be from her. Yeah. Uh, and also, it's in frame, but I guess that's okay since it's not really supposed to be a take anyway. Um, so she she and her performance of dying is uh, not very convincing. <laughs> no, it's it's pretty bad. So she gets stabbed to death. Bruce, by the way, uh, seems a little bothered by the whole stabbing thing, though it could not have come as much of a surprise. <laughs> you know, he sits down and he's, he seems like kind of pissed for whatever reason, but Victor thinks it was a splendid performance. Right. I, you know what drove me nuts with this particular scene was when they kept, they kept, you know, he kept talking about two different cameras. Right. But you know, and we would see one of the cameras, but we wouldn't see the other camera because presumably it's the one that they're shooting. That that yeah, I think that was the implication. Right? Yeah, but the, here's the problem: is like if that's the case, the other camera kept walking into shot. Yeah, right. And though, though and, I do and when the... you cut between one camera and the other, one of them had a really like hard grain to it. Yeah. And the other one had nothing. Yeah, so you, you, you would definitely be able to tell that they were not the same sort of quality. Uh, right. th- there is a moment where Victor actually set, tells the guy to get out of the shot, uh, but you're right. It, it doesn't make sense how the setup is. It's, it really doesn't. <laughs> but that's really the least <laughs> the problem with what's going on here. But yeah. the, what, we're, what we've established in this act... Yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm nitpicking. It was just one of those little things that drove me nuts. Yeah, well, that is, that's probably the example of nitpicking is a little thing that drives you nuts. Uh, it's the definition of nitpicking. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been established now that Victor is killing people for the purpose of his film. The, the kind of punchline of this uh, act is that Rachel comes in, Rachel from the previous segment, and uh, says that she can make some calls to get another girl in. They want someone with more sex appeal because he's just a perfectionist, darn it, and they're just yeah. going to keep killing people. I don't see the advantage of actually killing people in this case. Maybe it's a metaphor. What do you think? Uh, yes, it's metaphor. <laughs> uh, but that leads <laughs> us. That leads us into our next act, which uh, which actually. Uh, involves Bruce once again from the previous scene. This is actually where I really started to enjoy the film. Like this... I, th- I, I, you know, like the first three acts, you know, the first act, uh, you know, is like whatever. It, it is what it is. And then the second act, where they explain the first act, I just like like we've already said, it could have been completely done away with. And this uh, callback one, I mean, I know it's a setup to what's happening next. But it could have been 20 minutes. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how long it was. I wasn't timing it. But it could have been way shorter. And then they could have spent way more time on the final two acts where the interesting stuff actually happens. Yeah, I think you were a little more enamored with this act than I was. Uh, but at least this one gives an implication of sort of a larger context for everything. Right. Because we see Bruce waking up at home or in his apartment. Uh, and Rachel is calling him and telling him to go back into the production office. And, yeah. and in fact, uh, Pete is there to pick him up and bring him there that moment. Yeah. Well, they're saying that they have some potential investors for Gravesite 2. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and we it cuts back to the production office itself, and Rachel and uh, and Victor are having a conversation. And actually, this was one of my favorite parts of the entire movie, where the implication was that she was an actress for him in a number of projects, right. but realized that if she kept acting for him, eventually he was going to kill her. So yeah. she became uh, a casting person. Yeah, instead. she became his casting agent, and <laughs> and she enjoys the casting way more. Right. <laughs> so the idea is that Victor has been killing people for quite a while, apparently. 
Yeah. So they. Bring- I, I also kind of love. I also kind of love the uh, not so subtle uh, point that every time somebody dies, you know, that she. Uh, gets a little orgasmic and then lights up a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, man, what do you, what can I tell you? Hey, they like the death. What can I say? Some of them. Uh, so Bruce, they bring Bruce in. It uh, seems sl- slightly malevolent what's going on as uh, and why will be uh, explained momentarily. They br- put mm. him in actually the room that the previous scene took place in. Still uh, covered in blood. Still covered in blood. And yeah. they make him sit down on one of those uh, folding chairs that you bring to outdoor concerts. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's just what they do. Right. And we discover that Bruce is actually being watched on a webcam from another room by Victor, by Peter, by Rachel, and by two other men. Now, what do these men look like? Uh, I don't know. Come on. Pretty, I don't know. They're in suits, sunglasses. Yeah. They look like agent, like secret agents. They look sort of like secret agents. They look yeah. sort of men in blackish. Yeah. Galaxy sure. defenders. Sure. Here come the men in black. I I, th- I thought they looked more like bad actors, really. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, they do. Well, they don't just look like oh. that. <laughs> no, actually, I mean the black guy's not not so bad. At least he seems like he can remember his lines. It's the other guy who would like. I don't know who you're referring to, Mo, because I don't see color. Oh, okay. Well, the guy who's uh, not holding cue cards the entire time. Yeah, you're right. The, he, the other dude is the other dude is way better. In fact, uh, uh, well, we don't know what these guys are doing, but they apparently have brought something for Victor. In fact, they explain. That they have a product. Oh, here's where we get quality line reading. We have been instructed by our employer to provide you a demonstration of the product. <laughs> yes. Now, now you have to remember the entire time he's he that he's giving this line, he is staring down at his waist where he's holding the cue card. You you know how when you're reading something, how sometimes at the end of a sentence you'll just sort of trail off. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> a demonstration of the product. <laughs> <laughs> Line. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the idea is that there is a syringe of vaguely reanimator fluid-ish looking yeah, stuff. I, yeah, yeah. I, I I'm like I actually wrote it said oh great more green liquid in syringes. <laughs> <laughs> we all know we can all picture it in our minds I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and they inject it into a water bottle, uh, yeah. and then Peter is uh, going to bring the water bottle to a Bruce in the other room and have him drink it. And we're going to see. I really loved how I'm sorry I cut you off. I really Please. love how they inject it into the bottle and it's clearly creating this green sort of cloud in the bottle. <laughs> then they shake it up for like a second and it's perfectly clear. Again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, we're going to see what this shit is all about. They uh, Peter brings it to him. Uh, they all watch on the webcam until he finally drinks it. And then what happens? <laughs> Pete goes, it's about fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> And indeed it is. <laughs> everybody looks at everybody looks at him and he goes, What? <laughs> so, I gotta uh, tell you, I really really like Pete saved this entire fucking movie for me. Like I got <laughs> such a kick out of him. Yeah. Uh, he, but yeah, he drinks the he drinks the water, he starts spitting up uh, he starts coughing a lot, you know. Yeah, he starts coughing, he's and then he starts And of course coughing. he does what everybody anybody else who starts coughing a lot was he starts drinking more and then he starts <laughs> spitting up all this blood. I love that the only thing that could be causing this is the thing he just drank, but he continually goes back <laughs> to drink more. Well you know oh, that's I'm so th- thirsty, gotta get this taste of blood out of my mouth. Well there but there was a case once where uh, a guy had injected bleach into into a bottle of water and the person drank the bottle of water with the bleach, not realizing it, and it would, you know, it would create 
pain and they would drink more because they didn't realize it was the water that was causing it. So, I mean, I, I could understand why he would do that. I mean, granted, in this case, it's the only reason why he would be caused, being caused any pain. But I don't know. I guess there's there are real life uh, analogs there, you know. I don't That's know. it. That's why he kept drinking it because of that thing you just said. Because of the uh, thing I just said, exactly. <laughs> so eventually he just dies. He, he just right. falls on the floor and, and dies. And it's like, hey, that's impressive. They have some sort of reanimator liquid that makes people die. But that's not all. Right. In fact, uh, when this this happens, uh, Victor seems a little um, disappointed. Yeah, well, yeah, it's like, well, tell me there's more. Yeah, though you think he'd have an idea of what's about to happen <laughs> before. You'd before, think. Beforehand. But, uh, but what does happen, Mo? Bruce's face gets all weird, mangled, His distorted. Is that, is that how you would describe that? No, I, I would describe <laughs> it as a really, really poor prosthetic job. Um, on his forehead, becomes, at least. <laughs> on his forehead, yeah. He becomes a zombie, I guess. He's sort of a zombie. He's zombie-esque. He gets up, and he's a zombie, and uh, and that is apparently... Uh, I, I have it written down in my notes. He comes back as an awful, awful zombie. <laughs> <laughs> and Rachel fucking loves it. This is fucking great. I like to the point where she starts, like, playing with her breast. Yeah. Like, it's well, really, really ridiculous. She's into it. Can't blame she's into her for it. that. Uh, right. and, and, you know, if you had some shit that would kill someone and then bring them back as a zombie, that would be pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so they these two agents have actually been told that they, they'll, as part of this deal, I guess they're, they're paying out the ass to, to buy this fluid, that they'll go in and actually neutralize the person who uh, they tested on. But uh, Peter says that he'll do it uh, for them. Yeah, Pete's all into it. In fact, he goes in there with a gun, and he shoots uh, poor Bruce in the head. I I actually thought for a second because you know because I didn't I didn't catch that he had a gun. I went I actually went back to and rewatched it again and saw that he did have a gun when he left the first room. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't catch it at first, so I thought he was going to go in there and beat him up with his hands. And I'm like, that's pretty fucking badass. Like this dude's like, no, no, no. I'm going to go destroy this guy with my bare hands. But then he but then he shoots him in the head. So I had to go back and I had to go back and check it again to make sure that he left the room with a gun. But um, he did. So I was a little disappointed when he so shot what, him. So what, what could have happened in your mind, you got very excited about. But... I did. I got very excited about this idea of like a Pete versus a zombie sort of sort of fight, but he, then he just puts one in his brain. I'm like, ah, all right. And also that gunshot is off screen, so we yes. don't have to deal with any... Uh, gun barrel shots. No, no, that's later. That's later. Uh, very uh. soon, because later will be coming <laughs> momentarily. Uh, so they go back to the room. The the two agents are still there. They're just about to leave. The the black agent. Uh, oh, I guess I do see color. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he's curious. He's just super curious. Like, what are they going to be using this agent for? That they're, they're not they're not like terrorists or anything like that. What are right. they going to use it for? And. What is he just, he just, Victor just laughs. Yes. You know, and then we cut to the next shot of them setting up for, um, the gravesite film. Yeah. That's it. They're using these zombies in their movie. 
And this is actually the point in my uh, in my notes where I said Pete sure knows how to wear some pants. <laughs> so we we discover that Victor is actually filming a sequel to one of his movies, Gravesite, called Gravesite Two: Dead Again. It's a zombie movie, uh, and instead of making up people to look like zombies, he is using this. Uh, using this fluid to kill people and have them come back as actual zombies. I'm confused why this would be easier. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This this sequence, I had trouble with this sequence. Not just because Maybe of not easier, but cheaper. Mm, yeah, I suppose. Well, you Maybe do in have, the long run. You do have to do something with the bodies. I mean, I don't want to think too much about it because it's just supposed to be a gag, I think. Yeah. But the weird thing about this scene is that uh, there's Victor is looking for some extras. He has like two on yeah, set, he, right? Yeah, he said he wanted two dozen, and yeah. Rachel got him two. And I love how one of the guys is like really super like pretentious, and he's yeah. talking about like all the work he's done. And then like he mentions his role as chair thrower on Jerry Springer, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like that's a good that's a good gag. I, I, I thought that was a funny joke. <laughs> so they give these extras these bottles of water. And they drink it, and they immediately start to cough, right? Like, immediately. So, how would you think that this would play out? So, they're going to turn into zombies, and then they would put them in the movie, right? But what happens in this scene is that Peter and uh, Rachel and Victor, they all pull out guns. The scene fades to black, and there's a bunch of shooting sounds. So, what... Why? What was the point? Well, there was a camera there, too, recording them. Getting yeah, shot. I guess it's just, just to show these people... Well, because remember, remember, the last scene that they filmed ended with the guy pulling the trigger on the gun. You know, they hadn't added, like, the gunshots or the muzzle flashes yet, but, you know, like, so they... So So the idea is that this is just the effect. But in that case, why even turn them into zombies? Why not just shoot them? Right, right, yeah. (laughs) It just seems like a lot of effort to go through if you're just going to murder people anyway. It is a lot of effort to go through. Well, I hope I'm not boring you, Mo. <laughs> Damn, man! I didn't think it was. I didn't think that was going to be obvious. <laughs> that's that's Mo. We should have like a little ding that goes off every time. Every we time yawn I yawn. An episode. <laughs> well, that's the end of that act. We actually get a uh, Act Four epilogue, which is extremely short and unnecessarily uh, different act. I would say <laughs> unnecessarily unnecessary is the word you were looking for. The, yes. the two men in suits leave, but then uh, Peter uh, appears behind them. Uh, and he says, gentlemen, Victor would like to show his appreciation. And Rachel this is, is there. the most disappointing thing in the entire film. And that's saying something. <laughs> uh, Rachel, oh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel is uh, right there with them, and she raises her top to uh, distract these two men. Big black bar. Yeah, there's a big black bar. Uh, across the uh, the bits that you would probably want to see in this scene. See now um, I want. See now I want a Victor Juliet's director's cut. Director's cut. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, for some reason they waited till these guys were leaving to distract them, and then Peter shoots them with uh, with guns. <laughs> and what's notable about these gunshots, Mo? Mm, that says it all, I think. <laughs> They look terrible. <laughs> well, uh, I wrote, I wrote, Pete shoots them with some really terrible CG muzzle flashes, and then I wrote, Doug knows all about those. Yes, I certainly do. <laughs> Believe me. Uh, th- look, that that's when you're when you have toy guns or fake guns that are not like replicas or anything like that, things that wouldn't be able to shoot blanks. Right. You, 
it's difficult, right? It's really difficult to do a muzzle flash on that that looks at all. Well, also, also, like if you're in a building and like you can't really necessarily just start firing off rounds, you know. Well, I mean, there, I'm, I, I imagine this, there was an availability issue too. Sure. So, so it was, you know, I made a little fun of the fact that he he fired off screen in the previous uh, scene, but that's that's a good way of doing it, or just have like the whole screen flash white for a second or something like that. But right. in this case, there were like little like little explosions. <laughs> <laughs> As yeah. muzzle flashes, uh, they looked a little rough. Anyway, they murdered those two guys. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> no witnesses. Oh, ding! <laughs> <laughs> we we need a new song for that. <laughs> uh. So the, the entire epilogue, by the way, is just these two guys getting shot by these terrible muzzle flashes. <laughs> Most fucking yawning. <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah, so that was as close as we'll get to any nudity in the movie, uh, and uh, that's a disappointment. It's huge, but it's okay. It's okay to be disappointed because we're going into Act Five. <laughs> Life is final. about disappointment, <laughs> but yeah, we're into, we're into uh, Act Five, critical review, which which is the best part of the movie, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. So it ends strongly, which is good because it starts and continues weekly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but well, like getting... I said, like I said, I liked Act Act Four. Um, I was thoroughly disappointed <laughs> by uh, by the giant black bars. But I mean, but other than that, I mean, I liked Act Four. I thought it was, I mean, at least at the very least, better than Act One, Two, or Three. Let Let me speak with the voice of Michael Fitzgerald for a moment and tell you that if you're looking to see breasts, there are other locations you can go to. There are places. Let me show you. Take my hand, Mo. <laughs> I, I will no, bring that, you. That's creepy. <laughs> no, I, I know there's other places, but I mean, but I'm the type of guy that if it has breasts, I want to see them. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's. It's weird that you said if it just then. That's 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 a weird way of putting it. Uh, yes, because I like to dehumanize women because mm. that makes me not feel bad about, you know being such a misogynist. I interpreted it that you wouldn't necessarily care if it was on a human or not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, see that I guess I just exposed some deeper <laughs> psychological issues of my own. No, but seriously though, I like I mean if it's if if this if it's a person in a film and they have breasts, I would want to see them. Mo, you know the film Funny Games, the Michael Haneke film? I do? Well, you know that some people say, and uh, probably rightfully so, that there are moments of violence in that film that take place off screen because uh, part of the commentary of it is about our need to see violence, right? It's and like, I can appreciate that. Sure. So in this case, perhaps, <laughs> the breasts have been taken away because it's supposed to be a reflection on you. It's like a mirror being held up to you as the viewer. Then and show like, them all. Do then then do it off screen. Oh, no. Or shoot it from behind. No, no, so no. So you don't need the black bar. The mirror, Mo. I don't the need mirror. a mirror. I know I'm also, ugly. Also, she wasn't topless. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what was happening there. Really? So, uh, so uh, you know, we'll, uh, I know we'll keep talking about it for the rest of this podcast. I'm, not, I'm never going to stop talking about those that black bar because that's a huge disappointment. <laughs> Uh, Let's talk about Act 5, Critical Act Review. Act 5, Critical Review. It actually starts with a scene from uh, Gravesite to Dead Again, uh, kind of a traditional zombie movie. Well, scene. I kind of I kind of like this. I kind of yeah. like how they show them they show them 
creating the scene in the previous mm-hmm. uh, in the previous shot, and then they start this one off with the final scene, you know, with the with more bad muzzle flashes and you know and stuff like that. But I mean, I I, I like that. I thought that worked. Sure. And what we discover, we see a scene from the film. It's someone gets bitten by a zombie, and I mean, it's yeah. a very traditional zombie movie scene. Uh, and but then it, I actually, would I would have used the word stereotypical. Stereo- but yeah, and I tra- think tra- purposely. traditional is a, is a much more nicer way of saying that. Yeah, I, I think it's purposely stereotypical. No, it is purposely stereotypical. Uh, and then we see that. It's actually two women watching the film. They actually turn it off, yeah. uh, and uh, and they discuss it for a moment. In right. fact, let's hear what they say. Not that bad. I thought you had better taste than this. Well, forgive me. I'm not the critic here. I like zombie movies. This has zombies and some cool gory parts. That's enough for me. <laughs> so... So this sequence is the uh, filmmaker's criticism of critics. Right. Wouldn't you say? Sure. Or at least it's supposed to be poking fun at them to some extent. Right. Uh, are we... That that little back and forth then I thought was really interesting because you have one person who's turned off the film, thought that their friend had better taste. The other one was like, relax. I like zombie movies. This had zombies. What mm-hmm. more do you want? Right. Are they saying, is, are the filmmakers saying that we should be more like the second person, the more passive person who just appreciates what they have? I hope not. Why? Well, because I would prefer some of the great films like Romero's uh, Dead or Fulci's Zombie or, or Brookwalter's uh, the dead. I oh, love you're she... making fun of me. I see what's happening here. No, I'm making fun of her. She uh, said Brookwalter. So did I. I know. But I guess I'm not the only one. You're you not said. the only one. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I thought I thought that I, and I thought the uh, the inclusion of Brian Clement's meat market was an interesting choice, too. Yeah, well, like, pro- like... probably wouldn't have been my first choice. Not not that it's bad. I actually really like it. But I, I thought it was. I, I mean, like, Fulci makes sense, Romero makes sense, you know, adding the dead next door makes sense, and then meat market. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird fourth choice. You're sliding down the, the, the hill of budget down. Kind down. of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, you're right. I, the whole point of, of, especially when it comes to zombie movies, where the gap between good and bad can be pretty wide. Yes. <laughs> so uh, in this case, the critic girl, a woman, uh, is upset that the standard for horror movies has gotten so low, and she immediately goes over to a computer and starts to write up a review of Gravesite 2. Right. Now, Mo, I have to say, I was a little upset that she was starting to write a review of a film that she did not complete watching. She didn't finish it. She didn't finish it. That I've only is... done that once. What? <laughs> what was that then? Did you mention in the review that... Uh... I did. I mentioned in the, review that I, the, in the review that I didn't finish. It was for the film's Bitch Slap. Because I really fucking hated it, uh, and I and I did mention in the in the review that I didn't finish the film. Right. Uh, and, I mean, and that's fine because I knew what was going to happen in the rest of the fucking movie. There was going to be a bunch of tees with no tit and wow, stupid, you really that really stupid when, fucking uh, CGI effects and when trying, they tease tits and they don't deliver for you, Mo, that is the kiss of death. If you're paying, <laughs> if you're paying homage to Russ Myers as as badly as they were and not and not showing off the goods, that's a big problem. So uh, just saying, I, I I do not disagree. Yeah, uh, but you are right in this particular case. 
She should have finished the movie. Finish the movie. That's yeah. the rule. Finish the movie. And anyway, she writes up the review, uh, and we see. I like, like how she says it. Like she's talking while she's writing <laughs> it up. I do that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> An open letter to the editor. Yeah. Um, it, it cuts to Peter actually reading the review to Victor, who apparently yeah. is very interested in his reviews. By the way, she gives it a two out of five, which isn't that bad of a, of a review when you think about it. I mean, obviously below average, but it's not like she fucking trashed it. Yeah, two out of five. I mean, at, well, it, it kind of cracked me up, like because you see the parallels in in her review with this movie. Yeah, you know, and it kind of cracked me up a little bit. And then when she said two out of five, I'm like, yeah, that's about where I'm at right now for for this. Um, but but that's I believe. Yeah, I mean, like two out of five is. I mean, there could be way worse. It could be one out of five. It could be sure. zero out of five. That's absolutely the case. Right. Uh, and in fact, when I reviewed this movie, I gave it a three out of five. <laughs> right. <laughs> Though that might not sound like that now that we're discussing it. Uh, we learned, by the way, um, from Victor and Peter discussing uh, the review that uh, that the reviewer is named Abigail Smythe. <laughs> See, yes. you're good. You're right. They're good about the names. They, yeah, they. You know, Abigail's abattoir. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, but uh, when Peter categorizes what she wrote as a review, Victor gets a little upset. Uh, review. Review. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing there. <it> says. <laughs> I like that. Uh, that there's an assistant in the room. It's the guy that you. It's uh, the guy from before. Yeah. Yeah. And his response is, eh, it's just her opinion. It's just her opinion. So Peter shoots him in the head. <laughs> it, it, you know, this scene, this scene it really works for me because it, uh, it helps steal my opinion of, of the, the guy who gets shot as being the worst, <laughs> the worst character, the worst character in the film and helps uh, back up my love of Pete as a character. This uh, this and this has a point. Like this whole sequence has a point to it. I mean, it's sort of a ridiculous, exaggerated point, right. but that's fine. That actually makes it more amusing, and right. that's what was missing. I mean, even the, these those two previous sequences, especially callback, which really has no point except for to show that th- these people are murdering for whatever right. reason. And this... they could have shown, and and they showed that already. With the with the scene where they kill off Bruce, yes. So uh, yeah, so this has an element of satire to it, which actually makes it so much more interesting. Right, exactly. So Victor is fucking pissed about this, uh, and uh, and he says that he's going to find out where this uh, Abigail Smythe lives. Right. Uh, then we see a cinema, a movie theater. Right. I love movie theaters, Mo. I don't know about you. I'm a big fan. This particular movie theater is showing The Strangers and What Happens in Vegas. <laughs> 2009 was a wonderful year for, for films. No, it wasn't. <laughs> so uh, a guy actually enters the the, uh, the cinema. His name is Jeff, and he's uh, just come back from Cinema Wasteland, the convention. Right. And, and this dude... Name drops like a champ. <laughs> we we know guys like this guy. <laughs> I, yeah, boy, howdy, do I? <laughs> well, he's uh, actually brought a gift back for Abigail, um, and uh, and wants to see her. She apparently works at this theater, and uh, he does. She's actually sweeping up inside, and he brings her a a freaking katana, a katana sword, the like a real sword. fucking sword, yeah, 
Fred Vogel got it for him. <laughs> when he said Fred Vogel, I, I was like, oh, man. It's like, really? Like, you, you name-dropped his full name. That's right. Uh. That's right. Uh, so this apparently is a katana sword from one of her favorite movies, the actual one used in the movie, and she is uh, super impressed with it, and uh, she says that she'll go see Jeff after work uh, to reward Which him. brings up the question. Wink, what? <laughs> if, which brings up the question. If she, was, if she was planning on seeing him after work anyway, why... Did he bring her the sword in the first uh, place? I think no, no, a- I understand. I understand the idea of foreshadowing. I get that. No, no, no. I wasn't going to say that, Mo. I, oh. I, he mentioned that he had just like he had driven like six hours from Cinema Wasteland and just right. arrived. So she probably wasn't sure that he was even back yet. So you yeah. know, this was a there. I think there's some sense to be made there. He's like, I'm right. back. Come see me after you're done work, and we can hang out. Right, because uh, phones don't exist. Well, <laughs> some of us can't afford a cellular phone, Mo. But the theater has a phone. Yeah, uh, maybe it does. <laughs> Fair enough. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just text you on this, whatever this, anyway. Uh, so My he sidekick. Leaves, he leaves, uh, leaving her alone to clean up this uh, cinema. And suddenly through the side doors <laughs> of the cinema comes Victor Julia. Right. And he introduces himself like this. Please pardon my intrusion. <laughs> that has that has sort of a uh, Vincent Price sort of feel yes, to it, which is probably maybe what they were going for. So the idea is that uh, Victor is, has been very much uh, upset by this review to the point where he is literally he has literally come to murder her. Yeah, he's a guy. He plans to cut out her tongue, cut out her lying tongue from her whore's mouth. <laughs> And she says, fuck you. <laughs> oh, he has a sword, by the way. Yeah. By, oh, also, he has a sword. He has a sword. And uh, lucky for, luckily for her, someone just delivered a sword. How to convenient. Her. That, that, that is a stroke of luck. That is almost hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she gets a great zinger on him um, right before they start their fight. If you wield a sword as poorly as you do a camera, I expect to beat you easily. Ha! <laughs> uh, the argument I, here. I felt sorry. I felt really bad for the actual katanas in this. Yeah, scene. they're smashing them. Because man. man, you are really not supposed to hit katanas blade to blade like that. Quote from Mo Porn of No Budget Nightmares: You're not supposed to knock katanas blade to blade like that. Yeah, I don't mean to. I don't mean to knock katanas, but you're not supposed to knock katanas. Yeah. <laughs> and here's how you use a boa staff. You're supposed to poke. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's how you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here's how you hold size. Yeah. <laughs> Raphael's gla- doing it all wrong. Their men is glancing weapons and disarming. <laughs> you don't stab with them. <laughs> so this is not really a sword fight. It is two people clanging swords against one really another. Really just smashing the shit out of swords. Probably in re- in life and like when they were filming it, it probably looked and sounded very cool uh, and. Probably Probably was at least semi dangerous, but in no very dangerous because you could have you could have snapped one of those blades easily. Uh, Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely the case, especially because they were going at a pretty full force. Yeah. However, in the process of watching it, in like watching it as a viewer, it looks like people just like hurling swords at each other. 
Yeah. <laughs> and not not in a in a uh choreographed way. <laughs> Well, it's one of those interesting things. I mean, there is a little bit of choreography going on here. Yes, there and, is. And 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 when it and when it is actually choreographed, it's it's kind of interesting. It's just slow. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I guess I and I know there's amateurs, you know, it's not like like they they know what they're doing, but I'm just saying it's like it's just, like especially, you know, when you when you look at like Order of One where you have like <laughs> trained people like Let's doing... look at Order of One again. Oh god, I, I would love to. <laughs> Let's cover that film again. <laughs> Let's cover that film every every week for the rest of the shows. Uh every week finding new things about Order of One. <laughs> so, uh the argument by the way that Victor is making here is one that we've heard from filmmakers in the past, uh yeah. which is that uh a critic uh, a film critic should not be able to criticize a film until they've made their own. Right. And you'll hear that argument in all sorts of criticism, music criticism, theater criticism, that you, without have, knowing the ins and outs of actually being, of doing that, you can't have a full appreciation for the difficulties and the, uh, and the stresses and, and the accomplishments of that. Which is, of course, bullshit. Which is, of course, bullshit. Because, <laughs> because the, the majority, vast, vast, vast majority of the people who are going to see your piece of art also will not have had that experience. Right. Which is funny that we're both saying that because both of us have had that experience. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm perfectly willing to criticize somebody's work on a film because I've had that experience. Yeah, I, I, know, know these... I know what making a shitty movie is all about. Right. <laughs> I, I've made a shitty movie. I know. <laughs> but uh, but obviously, but it's also, you know, it's realistic for someone as, as kind of prickish as uh, Victor Juliet in this film to make that argument. And right. to, to uh, Michael Fitzgerald's credit, he makes him look foolish. And he yeah. makes the critic in this case look to be much more sensible about what's happening. Right. In fact, uh, she gets... Uh, the, <laughs> the fight ends with surprise, surprise, I may have just given it away, with Victor getting stabbed to death. Yeah, there's a moment where Abigail does this sort of like I, I, I use the term fancy in quotations on my, <laughs> on my uh, in my notes, but she, like she does this move and she cut she ends up like cutting his hair tie and and uh, and his hat flies off and and as he spins around his hair sort of fans out and I thought that was a really cool looking. His hair you gets know. all Tommy Wiseau there for a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're tearing me apart, Abigail. <laughs> so uh, she, that, yeah, that, that was it. Was a nice kind of flourish to end. Yeah, and I, I, and I thought, yeah, I thought that was, I thought it looked really good. And then she just runs him through <laughs> while saying, "I am your beginning." <clears throat> he got stabbed. Oh, and then that's the blood, by the way. Oh, that's blood. No, it's not somebody peeing in a corner. Well, that it's also happening. Right <laughs> Sometime today. I am your end. There we go. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So she's she uh, she uh, zinged him right back. See, here's uh, the thing. Here's the thing about that. Like when he, frankly, let's just let's 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 call let's call a spade a spade here. She she doesn't kill him. He falls on her blade. Mm-hmm. Basically, because she looks utterly shocked when she looks yes. down and realizes that, uh, you know, uh, when she realizes that she's going to get blood all over the freshly laid newspapers. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, and then and then when she says that line, she gets all 
you know, like stern face, like she meant to do right. it, but it's mm-hmm. no way she meant to do it. Or if she did mean to do it, it certainly didn't look like it. Well, maybe just at that final moment, it, she felt it within herself that this is something that she wanted to do. Sure. Hey, if you're going to get pushed, look, if you're f- put into a situation where it's like him or me, I have to kill him. Why not finish it off with a right, right. cool action hero saying, I am your end. And I am your end. I'll get you next time, Gadget. Um, next so, time. Uh, so uh, this isn't over yet, by the way. We, we, actually, <laughs> we actually cut to her <laughs> s- sitting around a poker table um, with a... That uh, looks like it was sponsored by Full Moon Video. Full Moon Video, because all of the posters that surround her and this group of friends that she's with playing poker are from the Full Moon archives. And all the toys are, and it looks like half of the movies on the... At least half, if not all, of the movies on the shelves are all Full Moon as well. I will say... Which is kind of cool, because I'm a big Full Moon fan. Now, I'm not... I don't really like full moon video, and I watched a shitload of those films as I uh, when I was growing up. Uh, yeah. So I have a strong opinion on it. But I will say, there's a poster for Eliminators there, yeah, and there's a poster for Arena there, and those are two of my very favorite full moon video. And they're not even technically full moon because uh, I think Eliminators was pre. It was Charles Band, but it was pre full Empire. Moon. Yeah, it was Empire, yeah. uh, and Arena might have been too. I think it but, is too. But, I, I mean, I love those movies, but you're but, right. It, but, it's, the, it's, but it's all ruined because there's a giant fucking Retro Puppet Masters poster on there. You're down on Retro Puppet Master? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, granted, Retro is maybe the third best of the Puppet Master films, but, I mean, that's like saying that it's the second best shit you took today. I mean, it's not really But it stars much. it stars Greg Sestero from The Room. Sure. Yes, it does. Uh, I know it I, does. I have it on on DVD, uh, and uh, like, yeah, I don't like ooh, a lot of Full Moon. <laughs> I don't like a lot of their franchises in particular. Yeah. Um, but let's not let. They I can't don't. all be robot jocks. <laughs> they can't all be directed by Stuart Gordon, is what I should say. Right. I wish they were. Uh, so she's sitting around this table with a bunch of critic friends uh, who are they're just kind of shooting the shit. They're all kind of impressed that she managed to kill a director. <laughs> Right. <laughs> they don't really have any kind of... They don't seem bothered by the fact that she could be traumatized by the whole thing. Right. So, But she seems she seems pretty fine. Uh, so we learn that the police are investigating that uh, Juliet might have been responsible for the disappearance of some local actresses. Uh, and, well, and, they, and they make they make sort of like a throwaway comment that like he had an accomplice who got away. And of course, we're, I'm assuming we're, we're, we're left to assume that, that they're talking about Pete at the very least. Right. Um, you know, and you sort of expect that that's going to be something that's going to come back up at like the last second, and it doesn't at all. Yeah, I mean, it. it, it we'll talk about it in a second what that might be leading into. Huh. Um, also, they're drinking soda with all the the labels tore off the bottles. Right. Yeah. I sometimes tear it because it's not obvious that that freaking Mountain Dew bottle that you're drinking out <laughs> of is a fucking Mountain Dew bottle. You got to cover yourself. Oh, um, I get it. I get it. So they joke around a bit that she should start uh, killing bad directors, murdering them. Right. And she and she's like, well, you know, I'll get caught. And they say that they can be witnesses to her saying that it wasn't her, that it was an accident or something. Yeah, and, you're going to uh, need an alibi. Yeah, they're going to be her alibi. And she, and she goes, they go, are you in? And she pushes all of her poker chips in because she's <laughs> going to murder a bunch of directors. Uh, Mo, if yeah. you could murder one director, who would it be? If I could murder one director? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you know what? I not don't want to answer. I don't want to answer that question. Why not? Because because one of them will show up dead tomorrow. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to answer that question because because the at least one of the ones I could think of um, is litigious. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> oh my mo. <laughs> Uh, so so no, that, no, I think I think all directors have their place, unless they're, they the directors are actively awful people for other reasons besides right. their directing. Right. And we could probably think of a few of those that were also I not can, going to name. I can, yeah, I was going to say I can name a couple off the top of my head. Yes. I'm not going to, but I could. And with that, uh, it's the end. I mean, she pushes in those poker chips, and that's the end of Victor Juliet's director's cut. Uh, this we is get the a. End. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, continue. No, I'm not going to sing anymore. <laughs> Come on, baby. Here, here you go. Here, you want me? You want me to? Here we go. So the credits do not reveal much of interest except for the fact that we are told that Victor Juliet will return in Victor Juliet's second cut, The Return of Victor Juliet. Ah. Yeah, that they do say that in the closing credits. So maybe the idea that someone escaped from that scene, the idea is that uh, the, that's going to set up a possible sequel. Sweet. I need to see more Cross County Pete. Cross County Pete. Yeah, so uh, that might I happen. His name is. That might happen at some point. We might see a sequel to Victor Juliet's director's cut. And if we did, Mo, how would you feel about that? Overall rating, two out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting the whole episode to use that. Indeed, you have. Uh, um, no, I mean, I would watch it. I think that. Because of the potential that you see in the final two segments, that you could probably that that it shows that you could make something interesting out of these characters. Right. Uh, exactly. The, the, it, uh, it was very smart of Michael Fitzgerald to put his better actors in those roles. Right. Meaning, meaning Peter, uh, meaning Rachel, meaning and even the the actor who plays Victor Juliet, whose name I have can't find anywhere, and there's no IMDb <laughs> to look it up on. <laughs> um, so. Uh, and, and, and because they are the, the better of the actors in it and that they get a lot of the screen time, it makes it a lot more tolerable. However, when you get an actor or actress who can't really hit <laughs> hit their marks uh, and who are kind of stumbling through things, man, that, that makes for some tough watching. Yes, very much so. Uh, but, I mean, the, the Victor Juliet's director's cut, it's not like it's an unwatchable movie. It, certainly compared to a lot of the horse shit that we watch. No, I was going to say, we've watched shit way worse than oh, this. Oh, yeah. We're not yeah. talking. This is not This is not scrape the bottom of the barrel or anywhere no, close to that. Not even but, close. But the problem with it is that a lot of the major technical issues are things that could have been solved. Right. And, I mean, I, I mean, I say that without knowing the exact situation in which they were filming, the time restraints, the budget restraints. But you can do that. And it's better to wait another six months for your movie to get out and have and, and, and address that in some way than to let's say that scene where the, the ADR in the first act go through go out like that. Right. Uh, because that looks awful. <laughs> no, and, and I think I mean like I didn't even necessarily 
mind the technical glitches in the first act, you know, because a lot of that could have been, like you said, retconned, you know, but I mean, a lot of it could have been sure. uh, explained away in act two. But the problem is act two and act three should have been five minutes long, if that. And they right. should have expanded out on act four and they should have really expanded out act five, you know? So, I mean, so like it doesn't, it's it like the whole movie should have been act five, basically. Whereas like the first like 15 minutes should have been act one, two, and three. Now, that said, uh, the film as is is already extremely short. It's, it's uh, just over 70 minutes, I right. think. Right. Uh, so you don't have a feature <laughs> if you do that. But I mean, you're well, right. We you don't really have a feature anyway. But yeah. I mean, that's true. Yeah. But uh, but you're right. The plot. Uh, I mean, and it, there's enough suggestion, particularly in Act Four, uh, of kind of a larger world that they're involved with. Right. That you you could do something interesting with that, even with the yeah. idea of them. You know, <laughs> even the idea of of actually murdering people for the purpose of putting them as zombies in your film. I mean, it's, it's sort of a one-note joke, but you can expand on that. I think there's still... there's They spend a lot of time on the least interesting parts yeah. when when there was real content that could have been explored that oh. would have been a lot more fun to watch. Yeah, like that, like Act 2, man. Oof. Yeah, well, Act 2 and Act 3 are, are not... not demo real material. <laughs> well, actually, they could have... They I mean, like, really, like, what they did in Act 3, they could have explained in Act 2, you know, because they could have, I mean, they could have just said, yeah, and then we, instead of making the joke that they ditched the bum again, they could have said, they could have just said, yeah, and then we killed him. (laughs) Right, right, that, actually, you're right, that would have made so much more sense. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess the idea is at the end, that the eventual fate that occurs in act three is supposed to be somewhat of a surprise. But the thing is, everything that's happening is obviously leading to that. So, so, you know, no one is going to be surprised by it. The fact that, that it's, it's the way that it's actually put together is so kind of clumsy. And I'm not just talking about the poor man's process, but that, (laughs) that doesn't help. Uh, But just, just the fact that it seems so amateurish, it it really hurts everything up to that point. But you uh, know what, though, you know what I do have to say, though, I, I I there were some cutaway shots that I really liked. You know, like I thought that, um, like in Act One, where they'd have like shots of, and they, I mean, now keep in mind the audio <laughs> would would ruin it, but the visuals I liked, where they'd be talking and then they'd cut to like the beer. Sure. You know, they, they'd cut to like a shot through like the beer, and you could see the beer coming down the inside of the glass or the bottle. You know, I liked that. I liked those little, those little touches like that. And I thought there should have been more of that sort of thing towards the end of the film. Cause it seemed like that sort of artsy cutaway shot. And I use artsy very loosely, but you know, what I mean? <laughs> um, so you know, something stylized as opposed sti- to yeah, just... style, much better word. Yes. Yeah. Like a stylized cutaway shot, uh, you know, seems to show up less later in the film you know, and, and that's a disappointment because I, that's one of the few things that I really enjoyed in the early part of the film. Exactly. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I can see what you're saying. And it's, yeah. it's, it's nice to think that some thought was put towards the look of things. I mean, this right. was, this is obviously a very low budget production. Um, yeah. I, I know Michael films things all the time that this isn't exact. It's not, it's not like he just did this and that's, <laughs> that's all he's pushing out there. Uh, but he's, he's a very capable 
director in his own right, and I think that in this case he was hampered slightly it, it, on one hand by some material that wasn't very interesting or very engaging, and on the other hand by some technical issues which kind of <laughs> enhanced a lot of the problems that yeah. were already there. But yeah, there's also would, potential here. Yeah, and I would, I mean, I would definitely, I mean, it takes a lot for me to say, oh, I wouldn't watch anything else from a particular director. I mean, the, I can only really think of one. Yeah. Who, who I won't watch any more of his work, but I mean, uh, but I mean, I yeah, I would watch, I would watch more stuff uh, uh, from Michaels without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll watch. Yeah, exactly. Unless someone has personally threatened me. Right. Exactly. Unless somebody has personally photoshopped my face into I don't know a picture of some sort. And that's the last we'll ever speak of it. <laughs> uh, I want to give Michael Fitzgerald credit, uh, in a lot of different credit, not only for being able to finish a feature film, but right. also to put it out there. To put right. it out there for critique in the way that he knows that we critique things. Uh, and for for individually contacting me and saying, you know, I understand what the situation is, which is that uh, that that we are going to take it apart piece by piece. And that he was fine by that. So I want to, you know, it, it takes a lot of balls to do that. I would not like we look for permission most of the time. Uh, but, you know, he he went with the idea that we might not be kind to this movie. But he said, I want you to cover it anyway. This is important to me. Right. And he made it happen by getting, you know, friends and uh, countrymen to uh, to vote for it. And you know what? I got I to gotta tell you, we, we have got listeners who... Even if we tear a film to shreds, they still say, "Oh, well, I still want to watch that." I, you know, that, it that might make them sounds... want to see it more. Yeah, it may, yeah, exactly. You know, maybe, maybe we were too nice. Mm, I am maybe. <laughs> I'm probably a little too nice. Yeah. Well, I, I still say I still I'm still annoyed about the black bar. <laughs> well, maybe Michael can uh, can pass you some cut footage. Yes, <laughs> under the table. Nice. <laughs> Uh, that's he, has, that's he has my address. Yes, he, he does. <laughs> you're, you're not a hard man to find. That's the end of Victor Juliet's director's cut from 2009. Uh, again, you know what? I was a little bit... When that film was the one that actually won, I was a little disappointed, if only because I don't like revisiting things that I've already covered in right. detail. But I'm kind of happy that we went through it again. Yeah. Uh, I think we, we were as fair as we could be under those circumstances. So, so on the next episode of the No Budget Nightmares podcast, we will be covering 1986's The Abomination, directed by Brett McCormick. Uh, now, for those of you listening who might want to keep up on uh, No Budget Nightmares, on our progress, on what we're doing, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, Mo, of course, is at DrunkOnVHS, and I'm at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. You can also find all archived episodes and our latest episodes over at No Budget podcast.com uh, but if you want to keep up on uh, say other low budget filmmakers you can see uh, you can converse with them you can discuss what your favorite films are you can even talk about your own movies if you want you can go over to our Facebook group which is facebook.com slash groups slash no budget nightmares or you can just search for no budget nightmares and you'll be able to find us on there as well always good discussion going on there always people promoting their projects uh, and if you want to kind of get down and dirty with some of the, the sickness and the discussion that's where to do it Overall rating, two out of five. <laughs> we'll keep that one around. <laughs> we got to keep that around for sure. <laughs> That's going in the callback folder. <laughs> 
Now, uh, we also haven't mentioned in the last couple of episodes, like the two of us, Mo, that, uh, that of course, uh, Rue, a uh, friend of the show, uh, uh, Rue, has, has been putting together songs for all of our films that we're covering. Yep. Uh, and and uh, we haven't really celebrated that as probably as much as it deserves. But these songs have been absolutely amazing. Well, not on the show. We we I mean I definitely promote the hell out of when he does the songs on my personal page, and we do it on the the No Budget Nightmares uh, groups page. Sure. But uh, but yeah, you're right. We we should definitely be singing his praises way more on the show itself because he does a fantastic job with those songs every fucking week. Exactly. And in fact, he has already gotten recognition from some of the actual filmmakers. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I feel like it's our responsibility that if we do have contact with those filmmakers, that they should, you know, that they should see that Rue is putting such amazing work right. uh, together. And again, Frankly, he puts us to shame with the quality of that one. <laughs> they, they just keep getting better every week. I, yeah. I'm, I'm just like, I'm so like in love with like these songs. Like he, every week, it's just more and more impressive. Honestly, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to having enough of them to put together like a compilation because they he, are so incredible. <laughs> he says, he said to me uh, the other week, he goes, he goes, I don't know if this one is going to be as good as like, this was maybe like two or three episodes ago. He's got, I don't know if this one's as good as, as the other ones I've done. And I'll listen to it. And I'm like, as good, this is the best one you've done yet. And he says, he'll say that to me every week. And every week I'll be like, this is the best one you've done yet. Just keep it up. man. you're like every week they get better and better. Yeah, so check those out, uh, and of course you can talk to Rue and uh, and and uh, <laughs> and suggest yeah, he, other song topics as well. <laughs> right, exactly. He's yeah, he's on. He's he's on, he's part of the uh, the Facebook group, or you can follow him on Twitter. He's at Potteru, P O T O R O O. And we also post uh, links to the SoundCloud uh, of of the songs separately as well. Right, right. Yeah, so check it out. Put them on your mixtapes. Spread them around, boy. Wow. Okay. all right mo i think that is all there has to be said about uh victor juliet's director's cut Uh, oh you mean mean, wait hold on you you don't want to talk for another 10 minutes and even it out to an even two hours for (laughs) a 70 minute film i i feel like we're we have a good average going (laughs) (laughs) but uh for those of you who are fans of the abomination that will be coming up next time uh, if you want to make a recommendation to what films we should cover you can also contact us either through the facebook page or hop on over to the website you can leave us feedback there as well yep make recommendations you might see it on the show no budget nightmares We should record a version of that. Oh, God. Probably not. Anyway, everyone have a good evening or good morning, as the case may be, if you're in Australia. Uh, And uh, we will be back soon. Overall rating, two out of five. (laughs) Good night, folks. Good night. Promise you you'll never be forgotten for the character you play. Please ignore the blood-stained walls and knives we brought. 
There's no need to rehearse your lines or know the plot. I'll talk you through the scene until the point you've been able to relay. Able to relay your role in our director's splendid flick. Trust us, you're the perfect fit. Though honestly, you're stuck in Victor Juliet's. Sound guy is an expert, even though he smells like he has died. I assure you, this is not a sign of things to come. So once again, I thank you for your precious time. Glad that we can capture you within your prime. I'm sure that you will always be remembered, but there is a chance your only scene will end up in our glorious director's splendid flick. Trust. Thus, you're the perfect fit. Though honestly, you're, you're stuck in Victor Juliet's director's.